The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with another trailblazing innovator whose company is doing amazing things. We're going to get right to it. Today, we're joined by Kyle Salem, Chief of Staff at Sequence Health Group and member of the board for Ensacare. Welcome to the show, Kyle. Hi. Thanks so much for making time today. Before we start our discussion, could you take a few seconds to tell the audience about you and your background? Sure. I'm really glad to be here. I've got about a 19-year history in healthcare, which started out with a lot of academic training to earn a doctorate in biomedical engineering. From there, I've spent time both in the industry world, working as a scientist, as well as my focus now, which has been in the idea of healthcare strategy and understanding how health systems and health providers will need to change over the coming years to provide excellent healthcare as we move forward. That work today has kind of taken me into a role where I oversee the strategy and operations for organizations all in the healthcare space and a growing number of investments through a portfolio managed through Sequence Health Group. Great. And we're here to talk about one of your portfolio companies, Ensocare. Could you provide a 10,000-foot overview of Ensocare? Sure. At a high level, Ensocare is a company that's focused on making sure that we can coordinate across the walls of the healthcare system. Ensocare started out as an organization primarily focused on helping patients move from a hospital bed to other post-acute care, something outside the walls of the hospital. But as healthcare has developed and grown, the needs of the patients has really changed. And so we're now in a position where Ensocare's focus is not only getting the patient out of the hospital and into the right setting of care, but really helping providers manage that setting of care, whether they're in the hospital or not. So this could be from a physician office space. This could be from a post-acute setting like a skilled nursing facility or a rehab facility helping a patient transition to their home. It's really about getting a focus on allowing patients and providers to coordinate together so that patients have the best outcome. Great. Thanks for that overview. What are the key pay points that hospitals are having when it comes to care coordination? Yeah, I think that one of the real issues that we have when, when hospitals look at care coordination in and of themselves is that for most of them, it's an incredibly inefficient process. It's something where they've, they've become really, really good at managing the care of a patient when they're laying in the bed and inside the walls of that hospital. But it's really an issue as people move out of the hospital and look at care that occurs beyond their own walls. We end up in a situation where there's such a lack of, of continuity across the perceptions of even the administrators of hospitals who really view themselves as pretty good at care coordination. In fact, there's an old study that, that about 64, 65% of CEOs say that they are strong or very strong in care coordination. And yet at the same time, we see patients reporting at about a 50% clip that they believe there were major problems 
with the coordination that they got after they left the hospital. And the real issue there for hospitals is they don't have a way to have a view into the care of a patient once they leave their facility. This is really something that that creates a huge trouble spot for the hospitals because they're being asked more and more every day to take financial responsibility for the overall outcome for that patient. And that lack of ability to see the rest of the care team, other providers that they may or may not have a financial relationship with, they may be owned or or, or just simply partnered, they may not have any relationship at all because most of these patients have choice to go to whatever providers they want. And yet at the same time, the hospital has to keep tabs as the the entity that's financially responsible on what's going on. So this lack of visibility and this inability to communicate creates a tremendous problem for the hospitals. We as patients expect that to be a smooth process and not to have to feel our way through the dark in that process. Yeah. In fact, we would expect that the hospital staff would know where we should go, what's best for us, They'd stay involved and make sure that we're continuing to get better. And yet, in reality, often what happens is they want to staple our record to our hospital gown on the way out the door and let somebody else take responsibility for our care. It really has become important for hospitals to figure out a good way to find appropriate providers, create an engaged network of those providers, and then manage them through a data-driven process. It's really hard when I'm a provider, a hospital provider, to say I need a specific set of capabilities, both clinical as well as quality of life wants of my patients as I move them out of my hospital. And yet at the same time, if I'm not managing that group, if I don't know who handles a patient with pneumonia well versus a patient with congestive heart failure or who the best place to send somebody who needs ventilator support, I really end up in a tough situation in terms of trying to manage the way I use my post-acute or my non-acute network. Kyle, I'm going to steal that from you, stapling the record to their gown on the way out. That's beautiful. I call it the throw it over (laughs) the fence mentality in healthcare. And the old payment structures made that the way to do it. Absolutely. It sure has. It's not that caregivers don't care. It's that they can't care because they got to treat that next patient that They're getting paid, and they're not getting paid to coordinate your care beyond that. However, in the last year, we've come up with this new code by CMS 99490. How has that impacted care management from your perspective? I think ultimately the first thing it's done is create a little bit of confusion around what the right way to do things are. People aren't sure exactly what they need to be doing in order to use those codes appropriately, But I think it has also driven the industry to say, hey, this is something real that we need to look at, but the definition still isn't there. Let me give you a quick example. I think if you looked five years ago in the healthcare IT space and you said, we need to look carefully at care coordination and population health, and you went out and looked in the healthcare IT space and did a Google search, you'd probably come up with a select set of answers as to what care coordination and population health is. I think when you go look nowadays at what that is, If you just Google population health, you'll come up with a myriad of different responses in terms of what that could possibly mean, whether that's a care coordination solution, whether that's wellness-based, whether that's simply helping people understand exercise and biometrics and the way they wear things like an Apple Watch. But the ability now to bill for care coordination has caused the industry to take a step back and say, where should we be making important investments in our ability to drive a networked solution. Perfect. 
Kyle, why are improvements in care coordination like CJR important as the industry moves forward toward value-based care? We look at the CJR program. It's the first time that CMS has actually required hospitals to participate in a program. So it's the first time that we've had a bundling program or a value-based, episode-based program that's actually been required for people and not just simply an option that I could choose to participate in. And so all of a sudden, CMS has signaled to the hospitals that they are comfortable with making the hospital that center of gravity with respect to patient outcomes. And the reason I say that is because in the CJR program, what CMS has done is said to the hospital, hey, you're now responsible not only for the hospital stay of the patient, but all of the care they receive for a long period of time, multiple months after they're discharged from the hospital. Well, these are patients, when we're talking about lower joint replacement, these are patients that typically have outpatient rehab, potentially some inpatient care after their hospital stay, certainly physician visits, potentially home health or durable medical equipment needs. All of these things now are the responsibility financially of the hospital. And so CMS has made a very clear signal that by saying the hospital is responsible, they're asking the hospitals to take more and more control over that process. And yet at the same time, they're still giving the patients choice. Right? So they've also said to the hospitals, you can't take away the patient's ability to choose their providers. That makes it hard on the hospital because as they become more and more financially responsible for this broad-based population-focused care, they also have to figure out ways to engage patients to follow recommendations and to stay on top of a patient's continued journey towards wellness over time and not simply worry about the care that gets delivered over a few days or a week in the hospital. It's also going to create some interesting models when you talk about provider interaction because now all of a sudden we have hospitals who are responsible for a piece and financially for all of the episode of care having to figure out ways to work more and more closely with groups like orthopedic surgeons, outpatient physical rehab facilities, occupational therapy, potentially inpatient rehab, etc. And they've got to figure out ways to potentially share risk, but certainly at least share information about outcomes so the hospital can intervene when appropriate. So we get this set of challenges on the provider side. And on the patient side, we've had the last 20 years that we've trained them very well at the throw them over the fence Absolutely. approach. And so it's not just getting things right on the provider side. We've got to retrain patients to expect something different as we build these services out. And it's, I don't think, going to be as easy as CMS thinks, but I applaud the effort, and I think it's definitely the right direction that we're heading. Yeah, I'll be honest there. I think we've got some work to do with patients and patient engagement. And I think hospitals have, in fact, the entire industry has some work to do in helping to define what customer service looks like. We've seen changes in what people believe ought to happen in a given industry that still allow cost savings to be generated inside that industry. If you take a step back and you say, well, what kind of model is healthcare moving towards? If we just look at the airline industry over the last couple of decades, it used to be a very, very high-service, high-touch industry. We were used to walking into an airport and having somebody with a very short wait standing there to help us print a boarding pass, take our luggage, point us in the right direction, tell us where to go. Nowadays, and in fact, I just flew this morning, right? I checked in on my phone. I never saw an agent anywhere near, anywhere at the airport. All I did was scan my phone a couple times, and all of a sudden I was through security and getting on a plane. Right. 
And so I think we're going to see that sort of a change in healthcare as we figure out the right ways to cut cost out of the system and deploy technology appropriately, and yet at the same time create an experience that our patients want and they find engaging. Yeah. So the care plans that we build into the EMR were, for the most part, encounter-based. They were well, a patient was in the hospital, and now we've got to create a care plan that spans providers and extends beyond a hospital stay. Yeah, and we've got to start having conversations that overlap multiple entities. It's not okay now for the hospital discharge planner to just leave out the whole conversation about why it's important for a patient to continue to take their meds or to refill a certain medicine or to go see their doctor three days later. That's not a problem of the doctor anymore that's the the primary care physician. That's a problem of everybody inside of that care team. And so it really does become multidisciplinary in a way that we've got to focus on making sure that patients are not only being served appropriately, but they're engaged in an appropriate manner so that they have a great experience in that process to get well. Throw you a curveball. I've been wondering as I do these interviews and learning more and more about all this, I'm not seeing where we're figuring out who the quarterback's going to be. Who's going to call the plays and who's going to make sure that everything got followed and is following up? How's that going to work out? Do you have any idea? Well, I can always look into my crystal ball, though I can't make any guarantees. I think the easy answer is it's whoever's financially responsible. The problem is I don't think that's a simple solution because the person who's financially responsible used to be the payer, whoever that was. Nowadays, we see the payer, CMS, in the CGR program throwing that responsibility to the hospital. In a lot of cases, we see providers getting into the insurance business. So now you have the provider-payer relationship all in one entity, and they're going to, because they have the financial risk in the equation, I think they're the ones that are going to take the role of quarterback, and they're going to put people in place. I think the challenge that we have as we look down the road is that when we talk about the specific quarterbacking of a patient's care, there aren't enough people to throw at the problem. In our current situation, we can take certainly high-risk patients and assign them to care coordinators, but as we need more and more care coordinators, we will eventually run out of the labor supply there. We're really going to be in a situation that once we figure out who is responsible and going to take control of the patient's care, we still have to figure out the right models to help those people be most efficient. Right. I agree with you. I see the emergence of service companies that in local geographies that have that tribal knowledge of the local area, I see that as an opportunity for people, maybe people that have been employed historically by the health system that are good at helping patients with that kind of thing. But I worry too, as you say, that there's maybe 10 of those people here in Mobile, Alabama, and we need 200 of them. Right. I think we've started to see some rumblings in the industry of some of those disruptors And it may not always be the brand-new third-party entrepreneur that says, hey, I see an opportunity here to consolidate care coordination and run it across a group of people. We've seen consulting companies certainly suggest that they want to get into that space. We've also seen some large health services, health IT vendors, in fact, some fairly major players, say that one of the spaces they feel is ripe for improvement is to outsource all of care coordination from a hospital to include discharge planning and then ongoing care coordination and do it with fewer people with more of an industry sort of for-profit 
focus to it and say to the hospitals, hey, you work on your inpatient stuff. We'll take over the management of all of the discharge and after hospital stay care. Right. Can I ask you a question about where the rubber's meeting the road? Tell us about how you bringing improved care coordination is impacting the hospitals you serve's bottom line. Yeah, I think the old answer was always just focusing on bringing the right coordination, finding the right network, engaging the patient in that process and their family ultimately leads to lower lengths of stay. And in the old DRG world where I got paid every time a patient came to the hospital, lowering length of stay was really easy way to say we're decreasing our unit cost and saving money. But even in the future, as the healthcare delivery model continues to shift really beyond the walls of the hospital and toward value, we're still in a situation where getting to the lowest cost, clinically appropriate setting of care as quickly as possible matters. And so if we can continue to look at ways to move patients into that appropriate setting and keep them there or continue to allow them to step down the intensity level as they get better and better, we know there's benefit from a couple of different things. One is obviously because they're in a lower cost setting of care, we continue to gain some cost reduction in that process. We also tend to decrease risk, clinical risk of bad outcomes, people catching infections, people being in areas that are too clinically complex for them can lead to poorer outcomes. We also, at the same time, if we think about it from a global capitated cost of care, we have in fact, just like in the DRG setting for the hospital, we have the same incentive, right? So as we move people through that series of steps on their way, whether that be a hospital bed to an inpatient rehab facility to their home with home health, and then finally simply home with some outpatient rehab care, each of those steps down saves us money along the way. And if I'm responsible for that entire episode or maybe even that patient's entire capitated year of care, that starts to create for me some cost savings and start to impact my bottom line. Not to mention, I've got to wrap all that around creating the best possible outcome for the patient. And the best possible outcome for the patient means they're staying well longer and also then impacting bottom line as well. Perfect. Thanks for that. Beyond the post-acute care setting, how do care coordination efforts need to continue to improve? I really think we need to focus on not only the post-acute or non-acute care side of things, where we look at things as a continuum, but I think there's really two aspects that we're going to have to focus on as we move through the coming years. One is this idea of chronic disease management. There are a number of diseases now that we used to consider as acute diseases with long-term consequences that often came on very quickly and created a series of acute episodes. There are a number of them, like congestive heart failure, which used to create, for a lot of people, repeated hospital admissions in order to try to control the patient's condition. But I think even the best scenarios nowadays is just the concept of cancer as a chronic disease, not to mention the things like diabetes and some of those sorts of things, which, which really are being treated today as just long-term chronic diseases. But we have the ability now to focus on what is the global wellness needs of a patient that continues to have a chronic condition that we have to care for not over a year or two, but over 5 to 10 to 15 years or more because we now have the medical technology 
for that patient not to continue to decline, but in fact to control that condition. When you think about handling those sorts of issues, when we think about diabetes in the realm and the other chronic disease states, one of the other pieces that we have to factor in here, the second big piece for us to continue to get better is that social services matter. Too often in the healthcare space, we focus only on those things which are clinically ordered by a physician. So if I don't have an order for it, then it must not be important. Or if it's not a prescribed drug, then it must not be important. There's a lot of things we've now discovered about wellness and about people's behavior and the way to get them to want to be well. And a lot of it has to do with social services, things like Meals on Wheels, adult day centers, family support, knowing that we've got the right social conditions for a patient to get well can often be just as important as the clinical care that's being delivered. And I think those two pieces together, the idea of looking at this as a chronic condition management structure and the idea of bringing in the social services are two of the areas that we're going to have to continue to focus on for the care coordination efforts to continue to improve. Perfect. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Kyle, what's next for Ensocare? What can we expect for the second half of 2016? I think for Ensocare, you'll see the company continue to march down the road that I just described, which is how do we focus on creating long-term capabilities to monitor a patient and yet do it in a way that is a passive system for the care coordinator. In other words, if I have a patient that knows the right path, takes the right steps, does the right things, I shouldn't have to have a care coordinator intervening on a regular basis or even, for that matter, having to check on the patient to know that they're doing those things. So, you'll see EnsoCare continue to develop and build out its ability to monitor patient care, understand that patients are following the right processes, and then understanding as well how and when to report back to the care coordinator only when the risk is increasing for that patient. We will continue to grow in the number of hospital sites. The backlog is actually really strong for EnsoCare, which will continue to install into a number of hospitals over the second half of 2016 as well as an approach that starts to put EnsoCare into the payer space. So we'll start to see EnsoCare work directly with that group, which is financially responsible for the patient, which is really where all that efficiency needs to be driven. And it's also where the care coordinators, as I mentioned earlier, will probably end up is inside the walls of whoever that is that's financially responsible for the patient. Perfect. Kyle, we're about to wrap it up here today. But before I let you go, where can people go to contact you and learn more about the great work of your team at EnsoCare? Yeah, the best place to go find us is actually on our website, www.ensocare.com. Perfect, Kyle. It's so great to have you here today. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your wisdom. Great. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Oh, and thank you. That wraps this broadcast on behalf of our guests, Kyle Salem. I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.